Hello and welcome to It's a Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I force my fiancé to talk about the musicals he really should have seen by now, and then we watch them. I am the fiancé. And I'm Drew. This is one that actually came to London. Yes, indeed. Very nearly went to see it ourselves. Mm-hmm. But we had a few dates that we could go clashed, that then yeah. yeah then clashed. So I'm really excited that this had a pro shot so that we can watch it. Mm-hmm. What are we watching? We are watching Anything Goes today, the London revival with Sutton Foster. Yes, and Sutton Foster we've obviously seen before in, in Shrek. Shrek. Yeah. And um, I believe we might have talked about Anything Goes in that episode because this is a musical she's very famous for already. Yeah, we talked about it when we watched Shrek, and I talked about Anything Goes a little bit there. This is, like, her favourite role. Because there's a fa- very famous tap sequence in this mm-hmm. that she she does. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, when she tapped in Shrek, it was like a throwback to Anything Goes. Yeah. Which is very, 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 very cool. Mm-hmm. I don't know much else. I think it's set on a ship. Yeah. Like, hijinks at sea. Absolutely. Oh, that's why anything goes, because they're in international waters where anything goes. <laughs> sure. Maybe. Maybe I've just made that mm. connection now and I'm completely wrong. Maybe. We'll, I will have to watch it and find out why anything goes. Yes. Yes, we will. And that's, that's what we do on this podcast. Mm-hmm. So anything goes. Anything it, goes. Music and lyrics by Cole Porter. Do I know them from anything? You should do. I mean, you would know a lot of their songs, which some of them come from this, but things like I Get a Kick Out of You. Nope. Shows up in Family Guy a whole bunch of times. I've Got You Under My Skin, stuff like that. As well as Kiss Me Kate, which is his most successful technically musical. So is this a really old musical then? Yes, indeed. Oh, cool. I thought this was kind of like a, you know, written in the 80s. No. No way, not at all. We are heading way, way on back to the 1934 original musical. Wow, Mm -hmm. that's very, very cool. Yep. Yep, the original book was a collaborative effort by Guy Bolton and P.G. Wodehouse, who wrote Jeeves Yes. Worcester. Yeah, I I, I love love P.G. Wodehouse. (laughs) Cool. Yep. And Guy Bolton, famously Troy Bolton's great, 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 great Obviously, grandfather. Absolutely. <laughs> so this is like pre Tony Awards. So, so this show never won a Tony Award until the 42nd Tony Awards, which was in 88, and it won Best Revival. So it could not win anything before then, and it wasn't until the revival that it And even I guess it couldn't win anything even then, other than a revival for like all the new stuff yeah because it wouldn't count as a new musical because well and this is the thing the issue it ran into when it could finally be nominated for things in 88 best musical the category for best musical not even best revival just best musical were phantom of the opera and into the woods yeah not a chance nothing else is doing well against those like Patty Lapone at the time was playing the character that Sutton Foster plays in the version we're going to watch. She was nominated for Best Performance, lost to Into the Woods. The male lead of Anything Goes, uh, Howard McGillin at the time, was nominated for Best Leading Actor, lost to Michael Crawford for Phantom. Like, Again, as, as he should have. Yeah, <laughs> what are you going to do? However, they did win 
best featured actor for one of the I guess they're like the adjacent yeah. male lead. Best choreography and best revival. Cool. So they did pretty well against two powerhouse musicals that were not going anywhere, you know? For a show that probably at the time would have won a Tony Award had the Tonys existed. Yeah. The original idea to have a musical set on board... Uh, an ocean liner or a cruise ship, whatever you want to call it, came from a producer called Vinton Friedley, who at the time was living on a boat because he ran away from the US to avoid his creditors. Because if you're in international waters... Anything goes! Yes, indeed. <laughs> he selected the writing team, he selected Woodhouse and Bolton, and the star, who at the time was Ethel Merman. Um, the first draft of the show, originally it was called Crazy Week... Then it became called Hard to Get, and then finally it ended up with Anything Goes. And the original plot involved a bomb threat, a shipwreck, and human trafficking on a desert island. Blimey. However, a couple of weeks before the show was due to start, there was a fire aboard quite a famous passenger ship that caused the deaths of over 100 people. And they decided that because their show included similar themes. It was it was just in poor taste to do that version, so they made a lot of edited to it. However, some people, some historians claim that actually he just changed it because the original version was horrible. Like it was just a bad musical. Which, you know, that's what previews and workshops are for. Yeah. It's every chance. So there is a song that goes, duh, 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 anything goes. Is that from... The, yeah. the, the title song of this one. Yeah, I sing that all the time. I know you do. I don't know. I can't say I would know any other song from this. I would recognise the tune of Anything Goes. Well, so. But I, I couldn't tell you another name. You are going to recognise I Get a Kick Out of You. You'll probably recognise You're the Top and It's the Lovely. I think that's all the ones you would know. Yeah. I'm excited for this one because I really do know nothing about it. What do you think the plot's going to be? Consider it's about, like, I antics just, on a boat. Yeah, like, I think it is just hijinks at sea, and I wouldn't be surprised if, like, the end of Act 1 is, like, a shipwreck. And, like you say, then hijinks on a desert island until they get rescued. Mm. But I, or, or something, like, the, the they run out of steam, or they, something on the ship stops working and they're stranded. Yeah. But I think we're going to have, like, a delightful cast of characters that shouldn't mix but end up having to for their survival. I don't think it's going to be like... Um, oh, I can't remember the film, but I know that it was parodied in an episode of Pokemon where the SSN sinks. Oh, sure. The Poseidon Adventure. Yeah. I don't think it'll be Poseidon Adventure. You know, I don't see it sinking and then them having to survive. Yeah. But I think it's going to be light-hearted fun. Mm-hmm. Will this have a serious edge to it? Maybe. If you say we've got this titular character who has done something bad and is escaping, maybe they will learn something? Maybe No, that's not the character. That's what the producer was doing at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. The the producer of this show was living on a boat to avoid having to pay back his okay. creditors. So I, I honestly have no idea. Yeah. And I quite like that when we have this. And I'm really glad that we get to watch this 2021 production of it because... Like you've said, sometimes the better way to introduce me to these older shows 
is with, with a, a modern, modern cast yeah, yeah uh, and modern sensibilities because if there was anything problematic there is a very good chance that a lot of that will have been changed here yeah it may still be very problematic i'm sure for a uh musical from 1934 there'll be things in this that we're like whoa mm-hmm well, so as well as Sutton Foster, the London Revival, which is the version that we are watching, has Samuel Edwards, Robert Lindsay. I recognise Robert Lindsay from my family. Yeah, but he came up the other day because we watched, I said the other day, a few weeks ago now, when we watched A Christmas Carol because he was Scrooge in yes. the stage version. Yeah. We also have Gary Wilmot and Felicity Kendall. I recognise the name Felicity Kendall. Well, I thought you were going to recognise Gary Wilmot because he was in... The West End version of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And when we watched that, we talked about him a little bit. Felicity Kendall, she was on Strictly Come Dancing. Yeah, I've never watched it. I'm trying to think of things you would know her from. I know, I'm looking at her CV as well, but I don't actually know what it is that I recognise. I think the name just... Oh, she's in Doctor Who. Who was she in Doctor Who? She was Lady... She's in The Unicorn and the Wasp. The one with... um... Agatha. Agatha Christie, Yeah. yeah. She's great. She's a very, very talented performer. Everybody in this is a very talented performer. Otherwise, they wouldn't be here. Yes. I don't know what kind of tone we're getting with this one. Like I say, if this is going to be very comedic or if this one's going to be like more serious. But I'm very, very excited to yeah. find out. Well, the original Broadway debut, right, was in November of 1934. And it ran for 420 performances. Wow. And it became the fourth longest running musical of the 30s, despite the fact that the Great Depression had really gotten rid of everybody's disposable income and people weren't really going to see musicals around the time. However, it's revived so frequently like because people love this show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's this is pretty good. There is a movie version of it as well, which we are not watching because, again, it came out in 1936 and you don't do well yes. with watching the old movie version. Maybe it's it's one that if we enjoy this, mm-hmm. I go back and watch. Because actually sometimes I like seeing, mm-hmm. you know, the older ones. Well, there are actually two films. Cool. The 36 one and then there's a 56 one. In 36, it starred Ethel Merman and Bing Crosby. And in 56, it starred Bing Crosby and Donald O'Connor. Oh, cool. Yeah. That one's really edited, though. So it's not a good adaptation. Did Bing Crosby play the same person? Yeah. They just gave him a different name. For some reason, they changed the character's name. That's very, very interesting. Yeah. What is your, I guess, personal connection to this one before we get into actually watching it? I have seen the Ethel Merman movie. Yeah. Sorry, when I was very young. I cannot explain to you the plot of this show it is crazy and it really is just like antics on the high sea hooray (laughs) like but it's crazy and funny and just a good time but when i was a teenager i had a teacher right a, a musical theater teacher who said to me if you were ever trying to remember the steps to something you should count beats in your head and i'm a horrible dancer right and the way that she taught me to count beats in my head is that you can dance to any song if you pretend that you're dancing to anything goes 
Okay. And I was like, right, okay. And once you know the lyrics to that song, it's kind of true. Because you can just run through the, the world has gone mad today, it looks bad today, and black's white today, and day's night today. Like, And it's just like an ongoing, continuous line of you just doing things to each sentence. It's very cool. That's very, very it cool. Worked. So yeah, I know all the lyrics to that song, and that's about it. So you've seen the film. Yep. Have you ever seen it live? No. I don't, I don't think I've ever... It's one of those ones that wouldn't have been on my radar to go and see live, compared to... When I was a teenager, I was more likely to go and see the more modern shows yeah. that were coming out at the time, rather than the revivals of things. Which is absolutely fair. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think sometimes it's newer, shinier, therefore better. Yeah. Which I think we're all guilty of that sometimes, that we'll forget about the the original film in favour of a glitzy reboot, and we won't look at the new, the, the, the source material the same way. Mm-hmm. So I'm 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 really it, it's cool that this has happened at the Barbican and and brought this show to a new generation of watchers that maybe yeah. would have missed it and especially if this pro shot is then sold as a DVD you know or, or made more accessible not just on BBC iPlayer where we're going to watch it mm-hmm. uh, I love the fact that this was like Boxing Day this viewing. is such Boxing Day viewing but that's very very cool that in a year where the arts really suffered, BBC put this as like Boxing Day Entertainment. Mm -hmm. And it was up against like ITV doing all-star musicals. I I think this probably would have won out that battle. But it's nice to see that the musicals were getting some love Mm -hmm. over the Christmas season. Absolutely. Well, it's time that we head to that international water. Yeah. And find out what happens on a boat when anything goes. Yes, indeed. And we will be back shortly after intermission. of stalking was looked on as something shocking but now god knows anything goes good authors too who once knew better words now only useful letter words writing prose anything goes and we are back yes we are we have sailed the atlantic that's a really good question. <laughs> I think the Pacific... They're going to London. They're going from America yeah, so to London. Yes, it's the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. Yeah. We've sailed the Atlantic. <laughs> we're in a geography. No, we don't. Mm-hmm. I liked this one. I think Act 1 is better than Act 2. I agree. I think Act 2 does let it down a little bit. Well, we were talking about this when we watched this one. And we're probably going to be quite general about this, just yeah. because we have a lot to say about things that we like, but things that we would change and maybe swap where places are in this show. So we're probably not going to structure this as much as we normally would. But while we were watching it, we were talking about how with this type of farcical musical, that's really difficult to say. Farcical musical, farcical yes. musical. Um, You have a lot of 
scope for doing things like it turning out at the end that Eli's bonds not being sold has actually made him a zillionaire. Yes. And it's like, you know, that last minute, 11th hour, not even 11th hour, 11.50 hour. Yeah. Uh, it's like 11.59. Yeah. Just sudden insert of this thing that will make everything fine again is fine. You can do that and that's absolutely fine. And it's funny because of the type of show that we're in. If, if like this happened in... I don't know, lame is, you'd be a bit like, what is happening? Yeah. That's probably not a good example. Uh, not a good example. Com- no, but-, but it's the same like Phantom, if it was all just so conveniently like wrapped up at the end. It you- kind of is. No, but... The Phantom just like changes his mind. <laughs> but the difference is there, maybe he's seen that Raoul yeah, is a, going to love Yeah, it's a character piece, it's emotional. You know, this is the thing, uh, it's love never dies, how quickly that goes. Yes. <laughs> but... You know, this is the thing. There's some things we obviously accept that, you know, it can all be wrapped tidily with a bow. And it's especially with comedies. Yes. You know, things just happen to work really Everything quickly. Everything falls into place. And yes. you're like, okay. Cool. And that's something that, you know, works in this one's favour. Before we talk about the show itself, the director was Kathleen Marshall. Yes. Who is the sister to Rob Marshall. Yep. Who has been one of the most consistent contributors i guess to the podcast that if if we are talking rob marshall we know we're gonna have a good time however we have covered something that kathleen marshall directed oh i remember her name it was very very early very very early not joseph no not that early that's number one yeah um mr schuster's in it oh once upon a mattress yeah she directed the abc version I was going to say, I feel like it's definitely like a decom yes. or something. Uh, in terms of things that she's done, just to give you a bit of you know context to things she's been a part of, mm-hmm. she obviously started as an assistant to Rob Marshall, who's choreographer of Kiss of the Spider Woman. The pair have collaborated on She Loves Me, Damn Yankees, Victor Victoria and Zeusicle. Very cool. She was a judge on the NBC reality series of Grease, You're the One That I Want. Mm-hmm. She originally directed and choreographed a Broadway revival of Anything Goes in April 2011 with Sutton Foster. Yes, so this version, the 2011 version, this is where they made all the changes. Yes. Because there are actually two different versions of this show. Yeah. They are quite... (laughs) Not different. They're pretty similar. It has the same, you know, overarching storyline... But it's just a lot more tailored down, taken more seriously. Character names are changed, which is really interesting. Yeah. But not everyone's, just a couple. Like, for example, Moonface's girl that is with him the whole time is called, in our version, Irma. But in the original version, she's called Bonnie, like Bonnie and Clyde. Which, I don't know whether they changed it to get away from that connotation. Mm -hmm. Because they're not a couple in this version, obviously. She's just with him. Yes. But in the original version, they were a couple. It's choice. It's interesting. But this is really cool, I think, that obviously she's directed this and then a decade later gets to revisit it at the Barbican Mm -hmm. with Sutton Foster. She has won three Tony Awards for Best Choreography. Cool. 2004 for Wonderful Town. She also won a Drama Desk Award and an Outer Critics Circle Award. For The Pajama Game in 2006, Best Choreography, and again, Drama Desk Award and Outer 
Critics Circle Award. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then anything goes. Best Choreography, Drama Desk Award and Outer Critics Circle Award. So she's very, very accomplished yeah. as a choreographer. And one of the th- real highlights, one of the real strengths of this version is the choreography. I, I think, you know, and obviously she's not the sole movement director and choreographer on this, I believe. I, I think I saw other names. Mm-hmm. But obviously, if you are working with her in a musical in this way, she's going to have a say in it, isn't she? Could you imagine being brought on to be choreographer for a show like this and being told, oh, and by the way, your director is Kathleen Marshall. If you'd never worked with her before, that might be quite intimidating. Mm, that's true. So, yes, I recognise the name. And sure enough, yes, we have seen her on the podcast before. Yes. And as well as that, you should recognise a whole bunch of the cast. We've got Badger from yes. Wind in the Willows. His name is Gary Wilmot. Yes. But yeah, we loved him as Badger in Wind in the Willows. I Very nice because Badger's more of a stronger character. And like this guy Eli's silly. like the yeah. complete opposite of him, you know, like whereas yeah. Badger's quite in control, he isn't. Yes. So it's a very, very good cast. Mm. And I think there's some moments where different people shine. I, I think it's a very jumbled cast at times. So there's a lot of characters that maybe don't always get the moments or attention they should, or you get forgotten about. And it, it pays off in the end. But yeah, this... well, you have things like the two gamblers who yes, come aboard. Yes, those are exactly who I'm thinking of. They feel like they're set up to be much more pivotal, important characters because you get that big introduction of them with the priest and then then them running off. I forgot all about them until the end of Act 2. Well, those characters, I'm sure they have names, not that I can find it in front of me right now. But those, I didn't get them. Yeah, those two characters. I think one of them is called John. Yeah. I could be wrong. But those characters... I could be wrong... <laughs> are always played by Asian actors. Yes. Because there's the whole thing with later on pretending yeah. that Reno is this Chinese princess thing. Like that that whole plot contrivance. But they are always cast as, as Asian actors and it was not important enough in this. So the whole premise of this, you know, it's not we're going into foreign waters where we can get up to whatever we want. Well, do you know what this is? This ha- this follows the same sort of plot development as things like Oklahoma, yeah. where you have two sets of lovers, but it's not done as well as things like Oklahoma. Yeah. You have two sets of lovers, your side comedy characters, and then the parents, yes. which I guess is Eli and Mrs. Hardcourt. Evangeline. Be- yeah, yeah, Hope's mom, And, you know, you have the crossover of the two sets of lovers and, like, which ones deserve each other more and which ones are more in love. Because Billy and Hope, who are our main set of lovers in this storyline, are supposed to be madly in love with each other. I don't think they show it once. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it's it. So yeah, because I feel like the love romances don't work. You know, I I really like how it opens with Mr. Whitley. You know, seven's my limit, and he's still very very sober. You know, he's he's got some endurance when it comes to drinking. And we we then have Eli, him, yeah, yeah. We have him and Billy establishing you know the boss employee relationship, and then Sutton Foster comes out to a massive cheer. 
And we have that flirtation between Reno and Billy. Mm-hmm. And she says that he has uh, led her on. Well, this is it. I genuinely thought this is where the romance plot was going. Because for me, it felt like this is the very first introduction we've seen. We, we, we learn that there's a list of names that have left to ask about Billy. Hope isn't one of them. So I thought that throughout the plot of this, Billy was going to learn that Hope was more just a pretty face. And, you know, it was that kind of infatuation that there's nothing substantial to her. He's just, you know, infatuated with love. Yeah. But as the plot goes on, he's going to realise, especially Reno through the scheming with Reno. Him. Yeah, because yeah, Reno's like, oh, yeah, I'll scheme with you because, you know... It feels like she's setting up the scheming to sabotage him, but act like she's on his side. And I felt like through the scheming, they would get closer. Yeah. I genuinely thought that's where the plot was going with this. And I think what they really need is a scene that establishes Hope and Billy at the start. Well, that's the thing. So in this new version, we pick up immediately with Billy and Eli, whereas in the original version... He spends the opening, like, waxing lyrical about how he spent the night in a taxi in Central Park with Hope and he's in love with her and that they slept together because they spent the night together in a taxi. But I don't know if I said that like I was being coy about it. Mm. That's just what they did. And he's in love with her. She's beautiful, blah, blah, blah. But in this, you're just kind of like... He doesn't say anything about it until Reno gets here. And then to Reno, he's like, oh, she's beautiful. And that's kind yeah. of it. Well, yeah. And, and it is... He doesn't seem to know anything about her. And it's especially because you get, I get a kick out of you, which is, is a weird performance in this one. So obviously you've got Reno talking about how she's very, very into Billy. You know, champagne and cocaine don't do anything for her, but Billy but does. But being in love with him does, yeah. And it's, it's, a weird, it's a weird performance because this should be an aside... But Billy is watching her and listening to her and nodding and smiling as she sings this. Now, I don't know whether that is on purpose or not. Yeah. But I noticed that a couple of times later on in this show at points where they definitely are singing sides. Yeah. Nobody else should be able to hear this, but other characters are watching them. And it's it's such a weird... I don't know whether that was a choice. Everybody, I will say, in this version that we watched which if you are in the UK is still on... It's on iPlayer. Yeah, it's on BBC iPlayer. You can go and watch it. Everybody's having the best time. Oh, it's... You can really tell. The performers all have a really good laugh together. There's a couple of corpsing moments, which are so funny. Yes. It's so nice. It definitely is really nice because it's probably one of the first pro shots post-pandemic. Yeah. And you can tell that they're all just really pleased to be in the theatre and to be performing and in front of their audience and like even the interactions with the conductor everybody's yeah. just having a really good time yes and it's lovely so maybe it's that people are having such a good time performing this that they're just enjoying they're just that. enjoying watching each other but that doesn't work no. <laughs> for these characters <laughs> if anybody saw the 2011 version yeah or has seen any any footage of the 2011 version let us know if it's the same well i know that we'll talk about elena's thoughts on this later mm-hmm. and it, this version's going to cinemas in america in march so yes. they'll have a chance to watch but elena's spotted something about costume that i'll talk to you about specifically for reno mm-hmm. which is very interesting and i'd like to know your thoughts when we get there at the Absolutely. end uh, so billy's in love with someone else and reno feels betrayed 
and thinks that he you know has been leading her on he says well i just treated you with respect and she's like yeah that was leading me on you can kind of understand this. And that's why I thought this was setting up this really nice romance. He's going to learn that actually he was in love with her. Yeah, but... well, because... So, Reno is a nightclub singer. <laughs> She's an evangelist turned nightclub right, singer. that made no sense. We'll get there we'll later on. We'll come to on. the weird religious stuff later on. But... She's a nightclub singer. She's used to the kind of guy that comes to see her dance and wear fabulous little outfits and be, like, infatuated with her and always trying it on with her. Because, oh, what show did we watch where I was talking about the way that they treat the different women in the show? And Probably Downton Abbey. No, it was a musical. I, I know it's Downton Abbey, right? I know that's all I talk about at the moment. But whatever musical it was, we were talking about how the way that this one character was treated was really different to the others because she's not the kind of girl that gets her legs out. That kind of thing. Where... You expect to have guys try it on with you when you are a nightclub singer yeah. because that's what she's used to. So she's used to these men throwing declaring themselves. their love for her. Yeah. And because he's not, because he's different, that he, means more yeah. to her. He's stood out from the crowd because actually there's yeah. a more genuine thing. And there's... it's the same for Billy. He says that Hope's the only girl who hasn't thrown herself at him and Reno's like come on yeah <laughs> literally just what i've said to you yeah i it, it was a fun little way to open it up i like the second more pessimistic version after billy's left i think that one's really cute where you feel like reno's a bit more broken but it is one of those i thought reno was going to be a bigger main character she gets over this really quickly she does it and and this is the thing is if you have no idea going into this show it does get very confusing when things progress yeah but we get a really lovely transition from the bar to the uh, ship you've always got the curtains and the bar gets wheeled off stage mm-hmm. and then you see this big it's amazing track, yeah. yeah and you get this amazing set piece of the ship mm-hmm. and we get bon voyage which is just okay as a song well so this is the crew sing there's no cure like travel and then we go into all of the uh the guests singing yeah. bon voyage which i like that they sing bon voyage bon voyage yeah, there's some funny, funny funny wordplay, but um, Mr. Whitley has got a doctor's note to allow him to go and drink. Straight to the bar, yeah. Which is, you know, on par with, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber's therapy dog note. Yeah. Uh, we learn that Charlie Chaplin cancelled, so are no celebrities on board the SS American. Yes, and it's going to take them two weeks to get to England. Which is probably about right for the time. It's actually kind of slow for the time, but... Is this... Well, I guess, yeah, this is post-Titanic. Mm-hmm. So it is quite slow, considering the Titanic was doing it in, like, five days. Yeah, it's pretty slow. But the, I guess the whole point of this, this is... This but is, this is the thing, this is a cruise this liner. This is a cruise liner. It's not a get you from A to B as quick as possible. This is a cruise liner where celebrities are supposed to come on. Mm-hmm. You know, the Instagram influencers of the day. You know, That's why thing. Reno's here. She's been hired because she's a big name in nightclub singing in New York. And now she's on the boat to sing and entertain the guests. Yeah. But they're expecting to have... Well, this, that's what you expected on cruise liners in the in the day, was to be in close quarters with celebrity and to li- be in the lap of luxury on these cruise liners. Yeah. And, you know, in the same way that they did with the Titanic, you have different decks for different types of guests paying. So we're on the top deck here. And Reno's allowed up there because she's entertaining these people. Yeah. 
But if Billy had bought a ticket, he would never be up there. He'd never be on this this part of the bike. Yeah. I I got confused. So obviously we have our two little gamblers and yeah. they're faking to be... I just heard that they're faking. I thought, oh, okay, they're faking fame to get a ticket. I was like, oh, they're very, very influencer. No, but no so they're faking a religious... Piety, yeah. Yeah, so they're with uh, the, the, the Reverend Henry T. Dobson. Mm-hmm. So they're with him and, and he's going to be talking about these miracles he's performed on them to make them see the light and convert people because he's, I he's guess, famous evangelist. He's gambling, yeah. And they're just lying to get on board the ship and yeah. Yeah. get to England so they can escape their gambling But debt. because they're two of the first people we meet... You think they're going to be important? I, and it, it does very much feel like, because you see them quite a bit at this point, it feels like setting them up to be important and that it's so forgettable. Mm-hmm. You have um, Reno and her angels... And the evangelist isn't happy when he sees her. And I guess, like, I, you know, in hindsight now, the way she talks to him, she's not being sarcastic and mocking him. No. She's being honest. Like, that's her version of her, you know. But it didn't feel like this was a she. She comes across minds. like she went to a religious school and yeah. just never bought into it and was just like, yeah, this is all stupid, but I can quote it all back to you now kind of thing. But, yeah, she upsets him with her angels and then they go into the lounge yes area then we meet hope yes hope hardcore her mother evangeline uh hope is a deb and she's with her fiance evelyn yes lord evelyn hope doesn't seem very happy that she's to be married she doesn't really seem into evelyn especially because they do feel very much like they're from two different cultures you know, that they're not of the, you know, that they're obviously of the same social standing. Well, they're not. Well, guilty-ish. Yeah, the, the hard courts are... F- troubled, they're failing. Yeah, they have no money. So at this point, they are social climbers. So this must be set. Well, I say must be set. Eli makes an awful joke to Evangeline about how he saw her husband jump from the stock exchange which is a weird joke but he's also trying on he's like ah oh, but you know he'd have wanted me to look after his his beautiful wife because he's he's trying on with her the whole time and it's a weird like yale thing that they they both went to the same school so bulldogs bald yeah <laughs> so they both went to the school. now he's looking after but if that's the case is this post great you know post uh the wall street crash therefore is this like 1929 1930 ish no idea but i will find out for you while we talk about this because you know or is it just a you know stock exchange has been going for a while and yes billy also learns that hope is engaged at this point and is very very sad cool good post uh post wall street crash Mm. possibly still in the midst of the great depression maybe just outside of it Mm. This is one of those things that, like, you look at different musicals set in the Great Depression. Annie's going on at the same time as this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Daddy, uh, dollar bucks, raking in the cash. I, I genuinely, if I was to direct anything goes, I'd have, like, one just guy... Just him in. No, Daddy literally, just... Bucks. I wouldn't even, as a character, at this point, whilst everyone's coming on, I have this random bald guy with, like, a little ginger girl just coming on and, like... Do you know what I mean? Because that's how they get to London for the sequel. The FBI come on. They are looking for a gangster who is disguised as a minister. And we see a gangster dressed as a minister hiding in one of the vents, but that's 
and that's Moonface. Yes. He has a uh, nice exchange with the Reverend Henry T. Dobson, who's very excited to meet him. That hilarity ensues between the whole, well, what do you think of the word of God? It's very School of Rock. We're like Dewey talking with the other teachers about his teaching philosophies. philosophies, And, you know, just, you know, scraping by and go, oh, it's very, very interesting. Yeah. And uh, we meet Irma. One of my favourite lines is, he says, I'm not a Westminster, more an Eastminster. Uh-huh. You know, there's some nice little things there. Terrible. Yes, we meet Irma. I love Irma. She is so like, not only the film version, but also the stage version of Lena Lamont from Singing in the Rain. Yes. This is such a good, I love these kind of characters. I love to play these kind of characters. Yeah. It's the same as Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors. So, I want to do the voice. I want to be a ditz. It's super So fun. what I will say about Irma, fantastic performance, love everything, you know, except the voice. Yeah. And the voice, I I feel, is a put on. It's not. You can hear it when she sings Buddy Beware. Mm-hmm. You can hear when she hits the big notes. Her voice isn't actually like this. It's a character voice. Yes. That's the point. But that that's the thing is, for me, I feel like it hits... <laughs> What Audrey does for Georgia from the Best Film Ever mm-hmm. podcast, where it's just like a turn off. And I like the character and I like the way she is. You know, yeah. I love like everything. But I think that only works with that voice. No, you see the voice. Whenever she was speaking, I just got incredibly frustrated. I was like, oh. she's. A, do you know who she's also like? Is um, specifically the Kristen Chenoweth version of Lily St. Regis from Annie. Yeah. It's the same character. But yeah, but not the same voice. No, she does. That's well. That's just Christian Chenoweth's voice. Yeah. But you know, yeah, the voice got a little too much for me. But yeah, um, the FBI arrests Dobson. And Billy then... sort of accidentally helps Moonface avoid the FBI. Yeah. Yes, and then he gets the fake passport mm-hmm. and is now Snake Eyes. And people start, you know, that's going to obviously be the misadventures for him. Yes, we love a bit of mistaken identity. We get the end, like seeing a Bon Voyage, Bon Voyage, and the swaying back and forth is cool. Like as they're setting off on sea, yes. that's nice. Uh, Reno drops Billy in it, and then he again he kisses her to shut her up. So like, yeah, and you're like, oh come on. But again, I about that. yeah, you know it's weird because like you've got one of the I'm not I guess the vice captain, whatever that is in nautical terms, but he comes in and is like, so what are you doing here? Who are you? Let's see your First ticket. Mate. Yeah, and then Reno comes in and is like calling him Billy, and there's no Billy on the manifesto, so like. He gives his head shut up and you're like, oh, okay, maybe this is the start of him realising that there was more. It's a weird... Like he's just shutting her up and it it's is. weird. Um, and then he goes straight from kissing her to being like, oh my God, but does Hope even love me? And she's like, you should fight for Hope, which is nice of her. Like, she's a noble character. She clearly is at this point has given up. Goes, right, I tried, she's but I'm going to move on. She's yeah. a really good friend. And you see it with the way that she's with Moonface as well. Yeah. She just gets on with these guys. Exactly. And she doesn't harbour any ill will. You know, whereas if maybe if this was the other way around, that Reno was a she male has, character. She has plenty of opportunity to damage his relationship with yes. Hope and she doesn't. Do That's it. why, you know, and this is it. if Reno was a male character, she would be. She would be playing sabotage the whole time because, oh, you should love me, patriarchal society and whatnot. That's true. You know, so it's quite refreshing actually to see a character who's like, okay, we are just friends. I misread that. No worries. I'm on your side. Yeah. It's quite nice. But I did think the script is setting up for more. Billy starts to put himself down and Reno uh, is trying to build up his confidence by singing You're the Top. A very motivational song. Yes, but in in the process of singing You're the Top, she's putting herself down. The, yeah, and so he then helps part. But there's some very weird things that they say are the top. Your broccoli. 
You know, I, it just feels weird that Mickey Mouse is on par with the smile of the Mona Lisa. I feel like Mickey Mouse is far Well, no, above. it's supposed to be... So we start with things like the Mona Lisa, Tower of Pisa, yeah. you know, the Colosseum. And then as they go on, they stop being able to think of good things. So we end up with when she gets to the your broccoli line, she's like, your broccoli. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, this is fun because this at least establishes quite nicely that this is a farce. Yeah. This is a good song. It's not like this comes too late. This comes very early and helps us establish, oh, yes, this is not to be taken yeah. seriously. They're like running around the stage. It's great. Yeah, because this is like Ovaltine and Camembert are the top. Ovaltine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, we don't have that in the UK. I no, we know. do. Do we? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought it was an American thing. It's yeah. like a, It's like gravy, right? No, that's Bovril. I don't know. I've I never... need to Google it. Ovaltine, now. Ovaltine, however you say it, it feels like it's a nighttime drink. You know, whereas... I didn't think it was a drink. Yeah, it's like uh, you have it at bedtime. Oh, yeah, it's like... Uh, it's like an OT... You can get it at Tesco's. Fair enough. It's a milk flavouring product that mixes malt, barley and cocoa. Yeah, so not... That sounds uh... disgusting. That. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've like... had an Ovaltine biscuit, that's why, that's... Yeah. and it's brown, so, yeah. I do like this song. I just think it goes on too long. I think, because there's a nice moment where they leave, and then they come back on and they're hamming the it up trolley. for the audience. Yeah. They could have stopped before that point for me. I was like, the song has reached a natural conclusion, we just come on, we're repeating it. Mm-hmm. You know? That happens with nearly every upbeat song in this show. Yeah. Oh, uh, there's a lot of songs that for me outstay their welcome, mm-hmm. but we we're going to talk about one in particular because yeah. we agreed on it. Uh, we do meet Lord Evelyn properly now, and he has seasickness. Yep. Uh, Just while they're on the bumpy bit. Yes, and Billy, you know, messes around with him a little bit, talking about food and hope. You know, hope is very happy to see Billy, and then she's like, "You're being really so mean." Leave him alone. Yeah. You don't. Evelyn's just nice. He's just a nice dude. There really is nothing to their dynamic or their relationship. Yeah. They are bickering from the outset and it doesn't feel like there's anything to actually keep them together. Uh, no, and I get... People really like Hope Harcourt as a character. Why? Yeah. <laughs> to those people, please tell me why. <laughs> Explain to us why, because I don't get it. But she is such a non-character She's a MacGuffin. in herself. You, yeah, you said that when we were watching it. But if you think about her character motivations like if you were given this character as your role in the show and you you know you have to figure out who your character is and your Mm. character's motivations by reading the script you're just gonna get is in love with billy is marrying evelyn to please her mother because otherwise they're going to be in financial room yeah just like rose in titanic that's it yeah she doesn't want anything else other than that we don't hear anything about like She's described as a debutante so many times. And obviously that meant a lot at the time and still does in some circles today. But she doesn't discuss... There's nothing about whether or not she likes this lifestyle. Because in marrying Billy, she's lowering herself a lot. But this is the other thing is you feel like... It's like Juliet syndrome, you know. Like they, yes. they are Roman. They know nothing about each other. They shared one night, and and how much of that was, you know, because we never see that night. They definitely weren't talking. And you know, she says that. about how that night was a fantasy. So how much of that night actually meant something? Is she just seeing Billy as like, oh, this is this really romantic thing of a, a man below my my social standing? Oh, it's so forbidden. 
Is there more yeah, to it? And because... you never get the sense that there is more to it. They've romanticised this fake... Towards the start yeah. of Act 2, it's actually the second song in Act 2 is Goodbye, Little Dream, Goodbye, Blech. where she sings about how she had this idea of what being with Billy would be like, but she's now going to marry Evelyn in the morning. And so goodbye to that dream that she had of her and Billy. It's like, what was that dream about? Tell us what that dream was, yeah. because she doesn't even in that song. There's, yeah, the, 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 what this needs is a pre-scene that shows them together. You know, the choreography is really lovely and the lighting to this is great. Mm. I love Billy's singing voice. Um, it's a, it is a really sweet little sequence, but I just feel like it, you know, it, it just feels very, very much like this romance is on, is a surface love. They don't know anything deeper about yeah. each other. We get the cruise song. Not the cruise song, the crew song. Oh, is it the cruise song? Yeah, it's, okay. um, Eli is singing the Yale Boating. Okay, cool. It's not boating. What's it called? The regatta. I don't know, but yeah, like you the... know the one that Oxford and Cambridge race. Yeah, the regatta. Yeah, that the was in uh... the social network. No, you mean half a sixpence. I mean half a sixpence. Yeah. yeah. So he sings, "I want to row on the crew, Mama. That's the thing I want to do, Mama. To be known throughout Yale as I walk about it, get a boil in my tail, and then talk about it." Yeah. Because you get when you row on those boats, you get um, blisters on your butt. Yeah. Because they're wooden. I really like the way they stage the cabins. They just, you know, have them on the tracks, bring them in. And they're you know, next to each other. It is very, very cool. He's, you know, uh, Eli's very into Evangeline and he's he's going to make something happen. He tries ringing her, you know, to, to make something happen. She hangs up on him. And he's like, oh, she's so eager to get down here that she hung up on me. Not you... realising that she's just not coming. <laughs> and then you've got Moonface next door. He's like, oh my God, this guy is so annoying. Ugh. And you've got Moonface and Irma just hanging out. And he's got like his Tommy gun inside his like violin case. He's the most stereotypical mobster ever. And so silly, but so like funny. You're as... like, of course this guy's going to London. He cannot be... Yeah. But again, it's a superficial performance, but it works for what this is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Billy goes into the gang. He's really one of my favourite characters in this. Yeah, He goes in there, you know, because obviously they're the only friends he has on it, and and Eli cannot know he's on it because he's supposed to have done a job and he'll be fired. Yes, he was supposed to sell... The stocks. Some stocks, yeah. So Eli's, like, celebrating, because right now he thinks he's, like, in the money. He thinks he's a millionaire. And, yeah, I love this. So Moonface goes next door, and Eli opens the door, going, that was quick, and it's Moonface. He's like, who are you? And he does the little trick, gets the glasses, and then Eli is now blind for the whole thing, which helps, because he'll never see Billy coming. Yes, he has to use his binoculars to be able to see. At this point, Billy genuinely doesn't know that Moonface is a gangster. He's asked. No, he know, just thinks he's a a minister. A minister. So yeah. he's like asking for something, and and we get the line that is how Goliath slaughtered Moses and the whale. Mm-hmm. And oh, I, it's because the captain comes in. Yeah, and and I think this is because they're hiding Billy underneath coats and stuff. Because like, oh, we've got we you know we found out this person was was uh, Snake, Snake Eyes, Eyes the famous to be in this room. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, oh, we've not seen him. But if we do, and I think this is when Billy twigs that oh, he's not. Because the fake name he has is Murray Hill Cleaners. So Billy's now in trouble. And then Moonface reveals to him, he's like, actually, you know, this is what you've got to do. This is who we are. And, you know, you keep our secret, but we'll help you. Yep. There will always be a lady fair. Yeah, this is... uh... 
I like that there's a song here. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not a huge fan of this song. No. But I like that they put a little quartet of sailors. I love this. these guys. They yeah. show up so many times throughout the rest of the show. But this, this little quartet are so funny. Yeah. And they sing this little song about how there's always there's always going to be a woman on board that they fancy. Yes. There's always one woman that's above everybody else. And Irma uses that. To seduce one of them. Who is not tall enough. And he, she walks out wearing his uniform so that Billy can wear it. Oh, yeah, because she's the last thing she says to Billy. Billy's like, what am I going to do? Dress up as a sailor? And she's like, oh, you want a sailor uniform? I can do that. And she yeah. just leaves and goes and gets one. Yeah, because Moonface has been trying to talk her out of going. He's like, you can't. We've got to lie low. And she's like, oh, it's so boring. I'm literally trapped on this boat. Wait, let me go. Billy looks ridiculous in his uniform. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um... Yes, so this is this is where we learn that Hope does want to get out of the marriage. Her family's broke, so she needs to keep this marriage going. Uh, and we just get some, like, general just nonsense going. So there's a skeet shooting competition on there. Moonface asks if, you know, he can bring his own gun. Everyone's talking, then you hear the Tommy gun noise, and he walks off with the money because he's yeah. won. It's, I actually like that. that funny. It is just a nice little funny joke, and there's so many different things going on. And it's very chaotic and very, very silly, but it works. But mm-hmm. it, it's difficult to keep track of everything or, you know, take notes. Yeah, because at the same time, Reno's bumped into Moonface. Yes. And they haven't seen each other for a while, but it's, like, nice to see him. And then she meets Evelyn who reveals that he's a huge fan and can he please have her autograph yep. for his American notebook yes. in which he keeps a list of what things Americanisms. Yeah. <laughs> You've What's got... the one that he keeps saying? Hot pants or something. No, it's hop on it. Hop on it, Hop yes. on it. Uh, Billy tells Evangeline for no other reason than just to troll her that the ship has hit an iceberg and she's flustered so... Oh, it's to make her go away. It is, but he comes. He comes across it's such. A, he comes across so nasty throughout all of this. Well, it's, we're gonna have the thing with the dog too. Oh yeah, this is it. He's not a nice character. He's very difficult to root for. Yeah. Whereas Evelyn is lovely. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. He is. Mister Whitley has that awkward encounter with Billy, where you know he's trying to be very, very careful to like hide, and he ends up like throwing some cream or something on him. It's like biggest seagull I ever saw. Oh yeah, he he plops. Like, um, an ice cream, clotted cream yeah. onto his head, and then you get the funny moment. So, Moonface comes in, and he's got all his money, and out come the gamblers. And he's like, Yeah, we can play craps, and he loses all the money just like oh, that. We get his catchphrase for the, the rest of the show, which is something's, something's not right here, yeah. Yeah, Lord Evelyn meets Reno and is a big fan, and ultimately, it, it is very difficult to tennis, but there's loads of different loads of different things that have happened that are good for building these characters, but it's kind of blink and you miss it. Mm-hmm. You know, if this was a cinema screening, you might leave to go use the toilet, and you come back and you've, you've missed some kind of key points. Yeah. In the theatre, it's easier to keep... It is really easy to keep track of. Obviously, for us, trying to take the intricacies down of every little thing that happens, we'd need a script in front of us, I yeah. think. But it's well, fun. Then, so, because Moonface knows about Billy and Hope, but also that Reno kind of likes Billy as well. Yeah. And so, when he hears that Evelyn invites Reno back to his room for tea, he's like, "Oh, great! You can use this opportunity. Pretend to seduce him, and then we'll bust him in and break the marriage up, and and then know. they can all live happily ever after." And she agrees to it. Yeah. And then they sing Friendship, which yes. I really like. Yes, I really like their interplay, and I think they bounce off each other really, really well. But this is the weird thing where we get the breaking the fourth wall that comes out of nowhere. So you've got the read the lyrics, quack, quack, quack. 
And then you have the conductor is like just watching them and they're laughing, watching the conductor like wait and he taps to try and get them back into it. Um, but yeah, because he starts replaying and they don't sing and he just he like stops the orchestra and is like tap, 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 tap. Come on. Yeah. And it's very, very, because obviously that's part of it. Yeah, it's choreographed. No, I, but there's only other one other moment where we break the fourth wall like this. And again, it's very jarring. So we're quite quite a way into... Well, Moonface, it's usually Moonface, it right? Is. He's the one that normally talks to the conductor just because. Yeah. I think that's just it. Right? It is just because, but it's it's one of those weird things that kind of happens very, very, you know, towards the end of Act One. Mm. Could it have happened a little bit earlier? But it's fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, the dance goes wrong and they try it again. They try it again. Um, they both compete for applause at the end. And then the hook pulls them off stage. Wow, wow. It becomes very, very much like... It's almost like they they embrace, you know, the, the we're in a play rule. Mm-hmm. Which maybe they could do more from the beginning. Not even from the beginning. Just from, like, Moonface entering. Yes. Like, even if you just had him come in and say hi to the conductor. Yeah. You know? We have a weird line where Lord Evelyn's just, like, posturing in his oh cabin. He's like, kiss me, pretty wench. Excalibur. And he, Yeah, why does he have Excalibur? He doesn't have Excalibur. He, he probably... He just... says it's a, um old family heirloom. Yeah. He probably thinks it's Excalibur. But it is not. Uh, Reno is obviously here to hatch her plan and he is oblivious to her flirting. I think that the number that they performed together in Act 2 would be better served here. I think that that song needs to be changed. But yes, yes. I agree. But that song need, it needs to still exist in here. Like, that's the thing. We need a song where they dance together yes. and they have a moment where she realises, oh hey, he's kind of nice and I but, like him. But this is it. This needs to happen here. Because, again, in hindsight, you can see where she's like, you're not like other men, are you? You're kind of sweet. And this is the scene yeah. where she starts to fall for him. But We is... also need to learn here that the reason why he hasn't broken it off with Hope, despite the fact that he doesn't love her, is that in his family, you cannot do that. Yes, because they have to, be to the see through their engagements. Yeah. But this is the thing. It just... It's too much of it relies on you thinking back to what you've seen. Going, oh yeah, that 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 would make sense, mm. it, and that doesn't work. So I would say, put his song here. You have the little bit of like he's a little bit of a showman, yeah. And she's like, I'm really into this. And what starts off as her plan to seduce him becomes a far more like she's far more into it. And she surprises herself like that should be the moment she learns I'm not in love with Billy anymore. And just as they are about to kiss at the end of his song, yeah. In comes Moonface. Yeah. And he's like, aha, I busted you. And obviously the plan fails because they're still dressed. Because he was going to walk in on them in the act. On the ground home. Yes. You know, it is what it is. Um, I do enjoy the use of the plush dogs in this, I have to say. Yeah, the little puppet dogs are really cute. Yeah, they really, really are. I don't like this, though. I don't like anything... Well, we we, like this. we get kind of one of the things that's really important because Captain is just like being bombarded with abuse. There's no celebrities. We're having a miserable time, which is why what's going to happen in a moment is so important because he's desperate. Yeah. But yes, Evangeline has lost her dog and they skin it or Billy skins it mm-hmm. for a beard and throws it overboard. Except it doesn't go overboard because he throws it the wrong way. I know, the dog but, we hear, the but we hear the splash and we're, we're led to assume he's just killed a dog. 
it's not funny. Mm. Like that, that is a joke that isn't funny. And it's kind of tough to be like, oh, I still like this character. I want him to be happy. It's like, genuinely, I enjoy watching Billy be miserable. Cause I think he's... the dog's called Cheeky. It's Cheeky. Where's my Cheeky? Cheeky, Cheeky. Was Cheeky or Cheeky? Yeah, I call it cheeky. cheeky. I said Cheeky. Yes. Eli's having a moment with her and obviously being blind. He gets down on one knee to propose and it's to the first mate. Mm-hmm. He doesn't realise that she's not there. And... You know, it is what it is. Oh, yeah, because you also got the weird bit where so they come back on and Billy's now got the beard and then Moonface stuffs the puppet dog down his pants. And it's just like, oh, this is weird because, you know, it's just... Yeah. It's all very, it's very much. weird, yeah. Billy and Moonface lie to Evangeline and claim that Lord Evelyn is a fraud. She panics. It's like, you yeah, know, I'm the real Lord Evelyn. That person's a fraud and he's actually... And this person here is his, his doctor who looks after it's him. It's his evil twin, yeah. yeah. So, you Bizarre. know... He arrives, he produces his sword and he makes her faint because Evangeline thinks, oh no, he's going to kill me. He's a dangerous man. Oh no. It's again, more very chaotic stuff, but it's it's fun watching the kind of farcical elements of it. Yeah. Reno tells Hope not to wait because someone will pounce for Billy, which again felt like I'm in love with Billy moment and you better do so I'll have him. Which felt like that's where it was going, where Hope was going to realise yeah, you... that somebody actually loved Billy more than she ever could because... There's real love and just her little fantasy. Mm. Yeah, because this comes across like... Like she loves... Reno loves him so much that she's willing, as long as he's happy, for him to be with Hope. But... So when she says all of this to Hope, you would think it would lead to this kind of revelation, but Mm. it doesn't. No. Because she has to end up with Evelyn for any of this to work. But that's fine because it's the lovely, it's delightful. Yeah. It's the lovely, it's delicious, it's the lovely. Yeah, delightful, you know. delicious, lovely. <laughs> it is. So she's talking to this random stranger because we've seen that there's, you know, a passenger in a wheelchair. So now Billy's also kicked this guy out of their wheelchair and stolen it. Oh, yeah, it was an old lady. Yeah, so Billy's now hidden in the wheelchair and he delights hope. You know, we have a lovely dance break here. It's really, really nice. And they smooch and watch the sunrise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they're like, oh, we are in love. And Evangeline comes out and B is like, well, it's okay, mum. And he's trying to break the news. And Hope's like, stop pushing me. And again, you're just like, yeah, this is not a good romance. Mm. And just as, you know, Hope is telling Billy to lay off, the sailors arrive and they arrest Snake Eyes. And, you know, all the passengers are watching the chaos. And it's like, yes, he is, you know, the most wanted, number one, most top list of the FBI and all the all the passengers ooh and ah because they've got their celebrity and he becomes the guest of honour mm-hmm. and Moonface comes clean to get some fame too and he's like I'm number 35 on the most wanted so like you're, you're number two on the most wanted list they mishear him he's like yeah 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 I absolutely I'm number two yeah so they they get some fame Billy becomes the honorary captain and Hope is jealous at Billy getting the attention of all the ladies or, you know, is it jealous or is she just annoyed that he's not taking things seriously? Mm-hmm. And we get anything goes. I love Reno's poise and costume in this sequence. I think it's incredibly fun. Mm-hmm. I think her performance is great. I love the tap. I especially like the machine gun-esque tap noises we have. If the one thing has become clear through the, you know, near two years we've been doing this podcast. Yeah. I love a tap break. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really weird. I enjoy it as much as I do, but it's really good. And whereas I'll sometimes complain that some dance breaks go on too long, I could have had more and more of this. 
Yeah. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, it's a really amazing, exciting end to Act One. Mm -hmm. You feel like Billy's overcome the worst of it. And I, I really enjoy Act One. I don't think I enjoy the second act. It's kind of a show of two halves. It's the Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, it really is. Because the second act isn't so fun. And we did leave it a couple of days. Unfortunately, we've been very busy in our personal lives this week. We mm -hmm. watched Act 1, pause, didn't get back to Act 2 for a, a bit of time. And I've been carrying this high of, oh, I'm really enjoying anything goes. Act 1's really, really exciting. And then we're going into Act 2. So we start with Public Enemy number 1. Yeah. I love their finery. They come out like in these tuxes and they look really dressed up to the nines. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some good costume there. But Billy is really arrogant at this point. Yeah. There seems to be tension between him and Moonface. Because I think Moonface... Isn't... Yeah, the tension is Moonface doesn't like that he used to be higher up on the public enemy list. Yes. And now he's public enemy 13. And... The real Snake Eyes is public enemy number one. Yeah. But he um, he keeps slipping further and further down this list of public enemies. Yeah. And so because Billy is getting all of this attention, he's starting to feel a bit jaded about his place on the list. Yes. I really like Billy's evil laugh. <laughs> but I love that everyone does that and I love that Reno then mocks, mocks it. it is really really good <laughs> there's a nice moment where Reno is saying to one of her angels that you know come on angels let's get going and get ready before and he's like no you've got to call me by my actual name now I'm Mrs. Moonface because I'm married and I love how panicked Moonface is where he's like oh it's not legal is it yeah <laughs> yeah she says to him oh i bet you perform the ceremony yourself and he says why it's not legal is it yeah i love um lord even going oh look honey look honey it's snake ears snake ears it's like oh look it's lady gaga yeah. you know it's like i i like the idea of mispronouncing something it's fun so this is where it gets really really weird because we get blow gabriel blow and it comes for me out of nowhere because obviously Reno's here to preach, but... She's not. This is a show gimmick like in Sister Act. It is a show gimmick. But at the same time, because I haven't picked up on her background, there's it doesn't feel like she's mocking it. It feels very, like, sincere. It just... But it doesn't feel like what I was expecting from her performance. Because this is the first in-universe performance of Reno Sweeney that we see. Mm-hmm. And given everything else we've had, like the way she dresses for, you know, I get a kick out of you, the way she dresses on the boat, the way she's dressed for Anything Goes, mm -hmm. she, you know, it, she, it feels like her costume's there to titillate a little bit more than anything else, you know? Yeah. And then here she comes out completely covered and it's just like, huh, okay, wasn't expecting this. And she gets all of the audience to admit to, like, their sins, which is where we get Evelyn talking about how he had a thing with a woman in Singapore. He said it was premeditated Wookiee. Whoopee. A whoopee. No, premeditated Wookiee is, you know, if you're on board the Millennium Falcon, isn't it? Yeah, it's a Chinese woman named Plum Blossom yeah. that he had sex with and he thoroughly enjoyed himself yes. and that's like the and best everyone seems very very line. shocked by it like and, and and this is right so this is the other thing i didn't like the line from from sutton foster where she's like oh there's hope for you yet because i thought that was like a 
I thought that was like a gay joke, to be honest. Like, you know... No, I think it's supposed to just be like, oh, I thought you were way more stuffy than that. Yes. But that's nice. It's nice to know that you have a... But you know how in, in, in a lot of American shows like this, or American farces, the British character with the manners and the not understanding things... Oh, well, is because, nobody's perfect. Yeah you, know, yeah. you know, like, there's that idea that, oh, oh... Um, and I thought that's was So, it, 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 again, it doesn't make sense because at this point, that even in this scene, there's nothing that suggests she's into him romantically. But hey-ho. Um, yeah, the religious angle just felt very out of the blue for me. I do really like the bit where she then just, like, tears off her dress and now she's in this really, like, titillating outfit. This is what I was expecting from her. Yeah, the, the fires of hell the fires dress. is nice and I do really, really love the costume. There's some really... Oh, one of the things I like, I can't call it anything other than, like, the line and arm dancing where they're in a line back, you know, everyone behind each other and their arms come up. But like there are a few moments out of beat that yeah. looked really, really good. There's some. And again, I don't know how I can talk about the choreography here. But you get a nice bit. You have some of the men's are on the floor in front of them, the women behind them. And the men's arms do something like the arm, arms go down as the women's legs go up or the other way around. Yeah. But there's some really lovely choreography here. And this is when I said to you, it's like. Because because she goes up and she uh, Rena goes up and grinds on Billy and then goes up to Evelyn and I thought are they setting up that Rena and Evelyn are going to be a couple and Hope and Billy are going to end up together because I dislike those pairs like yeah. I, I would much rather yeah it Eve... really made me laugh because you like paused it and turned to me and were like is she going to end up with him yeah which obviously yes, but it really does come out of nowhere. It I don't does. know whether it's maybe there's just Americanisms that we're missing. Yeah, possibly. It just comes so so out of nowhere, like her weird evangelical cat thing, you know, like evangelical <laughs> cat. But I just I dislike those pairs. I really was rooting for Billy and Reno, and even then, I wasn't really rooting for Billy much because he doesn't come nice. But it, it, it is what it is. This isn't like half a sixpence where I kind of want characters to end up happy. Because mm. they feel quite similar. Like half a sixpence feels like this British farce. Like characters lucking into things and mistaken identities and stuff. Yeah. You know, it feels like the closest comparison on this podcast they have to anything goes. Mm-hmm. They want to hear one of Snake Eye's confessions and he says he's in love with Hope and everyone realises he's not Snake Eye's. I was like, that doesn't sound like Snake Eye's. So that, that, you know, that happened very, very quickly. The thing is, Act 2 is very, very short when you think about it. It's like 54 minutes, but not much happens because the dance breaks are so long. Mm. You know, I've got like three pages of notes for Act 2. Yeah. Because not much happens because it's song after song after song and it's dance break after dance break after dance break. So Moonface, I like this bit. He goes, he, he he's like, get behind, let's shoot him. And he, he has his, his Tommy oh, gun. Get like, behind me, kid. He opens it and it's a... Actual it's the violin at violin. this point. It's funny. That joke paid off really, really well. And yes, they are arrested, sent to the brig. Um, Evangeline schedules Hope's marriage for 10 a.m. She tries to fight against it, so it becomes 9.30 a.m. She's like, you are going to get married. We're going to get this sorted. Because mm-hmm. the captain can, in fact, officiate to them. And this is where we get the most boring song of all. Goodbye, little dream, goodbye. I don't care about Hope. She's a MacGuffin. She exists as a reason for Billy to stay on this boat. That's all. There's mm-hmm. literally nothing more to her. She has had no depth. I don't care for their romance. She's just there so that Billy has a reason to be tempted to stay on this boat. Yeah. So this song means nothing to me. Her character is really badly written. 
There's, we've talked about it. She's a MacGuffin. I can't even make a fun joke like MacGuffin Mike because, like, MacGuffin Hardcore. Yeah. So yes, we go to the brig and Moonface tries to do magic to cheer up Billy, who's not interested. I have the idea. Look at the card, don't you? Okay, okay I'll look at the card. This isn't going to work. And then this line really doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Because Billy somehow knows that Hope's getting married in the morning. Yes, and this bothered us. It really, really bothered me because he shouldn't. They've been arrested at this point and sent down to the brig. And presumably it's the end of the night. Now, unless the captain, because the only other person who was told about it was the captain. Mm-hmm. Unless he's come downstairs and been like, ha ha. Which... I don't see this captain doing. Person. He's not very involved in anything, no, really. There is literally no reason for him to know about this. And realistically, it should be when he should. What he should have just said is the line should just be, "And she's marrying another man." Yeah, you know, not and she's getting married tomorrow. Yeah, that or you know, we should have someone. We should just have someone down first, like Irma or someone who's come down, just to be like, "Yeah, this is what's happening." Yeah. Like, even if Reno comes down at this point, it's just like, I'm so sorry, Billy. And we see that. It just, this line doesn't work. And it takes me out of it. I know it's silly. It takes me out of it. Because if I'm left thinking, how do you know this? I I can't suspend my disbelief enough. And maybe I should just be able to. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag, we're reading too much into this. As usual. Um, yes, tweet us. <laughs> Hashtag. You've read too much into this. But we learn that there's an old Australian bush song. And this is where we get uh, Be Like the Bluebird. I, I really like the uh, the set for the brig. And I like the light that represents a bluebird. But it, again, it does just feel very weird. Like, are we in... Are it, literally, are we just in Moonface's head with, with this song here? Mm-hmm. Like Moonface has just lost it completely. He's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get like a nice little bit of dancing with him, the light that feels like Gene Kelly and Jerry. Yeah. Which is fun. Um, and yeah, poor Moonface towards the end loses his bluebird. He's just looking out towards the audience, just like, tweet. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it goes back and then he hears the tweet, tweet. And he's like, oh, it's here. Cool. It's a really fun little sequence. And then he he pulls like his little magician's hat and there's... That, that, that there was a light in there as well. I thought it was really cool because that, that lit up. But he, he pours out the feathers. It is a fun song. Yeah. Uh, does it need to happen? Could it just be him telling the story? Maybe. It's fun. It's, it's a nice little moment for Robert Lindsay, I thought. Irma does come to save them, I thought. But nope, she's just here to mock them. She's here to ask for their passports because they're not going to need them. Yep. Uh and she is right about this. She says that Billy would be better off without hope because all she does is whine, which is very true. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really also like the wordplay in her in her letter. I thought that was fun. There is no hope. Love hope. Yeah, they sing all through. <laughs> oh, yeah, there is no hope, love hope. But then they sing all through the night where we get the return of the quartet. Oh, I, this is what I thought was funny. Because the sailors seemed just as bored of hope as I am. Yeah. There's no soul or life to their performance. They're just like... Uh, no, I feel really bad for this actress because she's so talented. She is. But you, you can only do this so much. It's such a boring role. Yeah, it's, she's, she's not got much to work with. And there are other... She's such a, like... 
she's very talented. You can yeah. tell by her singing voice, by her dance. The but... character is presented as the ingenue character, yeah. but she's not. She's not interesting enough to be an ingenue. Yeah. She's no longer the ingenue. <laughs> yeah, this is the thing: is it's not a slight on the performer. It comes to the writing, I think, for this. Yeah, and it's not even it's not even the directions for. I just don't think this is an interesting character. I just mm-hmm. don't think there's anything you can do with this character to make me care. Because there's nothing there unless you write new stuff in it. I figured out what my problem is with this. Yeah. Every time we get an emotional song where a character is talking about how they actually feel, it is immediately followed up by a comedy song. Yes. So we're not getting enough time to think or feel about these characters and what emotions they're going through. Because we're immediately told to forget it and go on to the next yeah, because And I feel like the romance here should just be abandoned and we just have some more yucks. You yeah, know, like, comedy on the high seas. Why not? Yeah, like this shouldn't necessarily be a romantic thing. This should be a, just a comedy of silly things happening. Mm-hmm. You know, mistaken identity. That maybe the whole point is that Billy's flirted with the wrong guy. Yeah. Or the wrong girl in this case. And he gets arrested for it. And that's when he's like, I'm in love. It's like, you're not in love. You've been flirting with this debutante who's engaged, by the way. You know, like, it should be... He's like, oh, man. And then that's it. That's all that should happen. Yeah. And we just move on to the next comedy sequence. This is where Lord Evelyn recites his poetry. And Reno comes out on the deck dressed like Elsa. You know... Dripping in pearls, yeah. Yeah, like, it looks like... I can... This is what I imagine Elsa's nightdress looks like. Mm-hmm. You know? Um... He doesn't know his family mot- motif, you know, like what the Latin stands for, which I think is I actually funny. Googled it. It doesn't mean anything. Oh, yeah. It's just Latin. It's very Commedia dell'arte. You know, the doctor being a pompous fool, speak Latin, but not actually know what it means. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, it needs to be more explicit when Reno falls for Lord Evelyn, because there's some clear flirting here, but it, like it is just very, very sudden. Yeah. Uh, This is where we get In Me. Yeah, so that's not the full title of this song. We're not going to say what the full title of this song is. Because it's a slur. It contains a slur towards Romani people. He's talking about how he has Romani ancestry through his great-grandmother. Yes. And so because of that, he's so passionate. And And that's what makes him so passionate. That's why he slept with that Chinese girl. Yes. Now... That's a stereotype that's pretty outdated yes. by now, I should hope. But in a an updated version of this show... Yeah, this know, is 2021. And this was revised specifically in 2011 to get rid of the racism against the Asian characters in this. Yeah. But they still left this song but in. So this is the thing I wonder if that translates across to an American audience... You know, like, because of the Americanisms that maybe we're not picking up on, maybe that that's something that they actually haven't realised themselves. Maybe, but it's still not great. Anyway, they dance a tango and then he flies off into the sky for no reason. Yeah, I don't get me wrong. I like the choreography to this. I like him flying off. Yeah, and I said the way that he plays this song is very similar to... 
the way that the Duke of Weaseltown is played in Frozen yes. the Musical. That's what he's supposed... To, he's just this, like, idiot English fop. I think that you need to rework it so that you remove the slur, but you keep... There's a little showman in me, you know? Just can you rework the lyrics? Have him be like, I'm dramatic. And, like... Because he is. Yeah. He's been dramatic the whole time. Yeah. Just rework the songs. Remove the slur. Remove Have it the be illusion. like, oh, my great-grandmother was a showgirl. Yes. It, there's a little bit nothing, of a showgirl in me. Yeah, it has nothing to do with race. You're just a drama queen. That, that's you know? the thing. The, the, the thing is, right, and like you, like I said to you yesterday when we were talking about it, it's like post-watching it. I can deal with the audience laughing at his performance because he's very over the top now, whereas he has been quite muted at times. Mm-hmm. What I can't deal with is when the audience... There was a, There was a few laughs at the particular word when he's like, I am this. Mm-hmm. And it was before he'd said anything or done anything funny. It was ju- the laugh at him saying the word. It's the same issue we had when with we went Priscilla. to Priscilla. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. Is I can deal with the audience laughing, his big over-the-top face. And the same that when Sutton Foster matches his face and is like out of her element and they're, they're both like really animated. I can deal with their laughter at their performance of their physicality. It's the word being laughed at that is wrong. And again, Reno doesn't like him as much as they obviously want her yes. to because because Sutton Foster is so confused in her role by like the way that she's acting is like Reno's really confused as to what's happening instead of just being happy to go along with it. Yeah you kind of get the sense that she's put off by this. Yeah. There's, this is another moment where we get like the break in the fourth wall where they kiss, but then the conductor tosses a rose, you know, to Lord Evelyn. Yeah. It's weird. It's funny, you, but like... But, but again, the rules have always seemed to be that Moonface can break the fourth wall. So is this now because he's embraces in the showman? Must be. You know? I don't know. Could he, you know, even if there was a, a scoundrel in me, you know, that he's not this posh English gentleman, there's a little bit of a scoundrel in him. Yeah. You know, and that's why he can do it, because he's now a little bit more like Moonface, mm-hmm. you know, letting into his little rotter side. It just, yeah, the the song it feels weird. But yes, the weird thief characters come back. The the little uh, gambler characters come back. We haven't seen them at all, really. During yeah, they're Act called John two. and Luke. John and Luke. They well, that's probably called... not their real names. That's their apostle names, because they've been saved. Well, no, so when, <laughs> it, was, when it was reworked... They didn't have to cast Asian actors yes. in this role. They actually did cast white actors in this role yeah. and just called them John and Luke. And then people were like, okay, but now the Plum Blossom thing is even worse because yeah. now you've got white characters pretending to be Plum Blossom's relations. Yeah, like in trying to fix it, you've actually made another problem. Yeah, so they then decided that they would cast Asian actors in these roles, but that they would not be calling them by the names that they had in the original version because they were given the names John and Luke in 2011 when it was revised. And the names that they had originally were super racist. And also they had whole parts where they would speak in... Chinese. Oh, and we have one moment of that in this that I really didn't like, but... Yeah, but they're not speaking... Yeah. No, no, like, they would actually be speaking, pretending to speak Mandarin, except oh, okay. they weren't speaking Mandarin, they were just making noises. Fake words. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they come back, and I thought, okay, so this is the thing. Clearly, they just exist now to swap places with Billy and Moonface. That's it. I was like, okay, funny. We get a nice little sequence where they swap clothes, and there's all for nothing. And they're like... Reno's got the keys. Reno's got the keynotes. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and then they, they're like, come on, let's go stop a marriage. And then we see that Irma had a good night with six sailors and they all propose. This is one of my favourite songs in this show. It's one of my favourite performances in this whole show. Buddy Beware is a good song. Buddy Beware is a good song. I like that she is a character in the 30s and she's played by a black actress and she's incredible so she in the context of this show is a black woman in the 1930s who has all of these white sailors proposing to her because she's so good in bed and because she's got them all wrapped around her little finger and that's exactly where she wants them but she's not interested in marrying any of them why should she and so she tells them essentially that hey honey on a sailor's way do you really think you're going to be able to keep me happy because she says that ever since she was weaned off of being breastfed she's had a taste for caviar yeah she likes expensive things it's it's basically diamonds are a girl's best friend but hilarious and i love it and good choreography but i do you know this is the most we've had of this character in one go and this for me was like yeah just this voice is a is a choice and for me it's one that's now grating on me yeah it's that audrey effect that some people have she ends the song being lifted up by the four guys but she's lying on her front just on their hands with her feet crossed behind her and just like leaning on her chin and it's so good it's so the choreography for all of this show is incredible yes so now we go to a very extra wedding Eli still has his binoculars and just as there's about to be the I do's we have some two characters come out and say they've got a cease and desist from Plum Blossom Luke and John show up dressed as barristers because they're now in the like tuxes that Moon Face and they say that because Evelyn slept with Plum Blossom, he they dishonored her, and so the only way to re- they like he's effectively married to her already, yes. and so he can't marry Hope. And Hope's like, oh no, the only way you can right this wrong is if you offer me in marriage to her brother, which is Billy pretending to be Plum Blossom's brother. Yeah, and Evelyn's like. Oh, really? And then looks over, realises that it's Reno. They catch on very quickly, the pair of them, as to what's actually going Which on. Which is out of character. Forever. Yes. But yeah, they catch on really quickly. They play along. Yeah, because he's talking. He's like, well, I can't. And I, I refuse to marry this woman. And he lifts and goes, ah, no, but I have to. Uh, but, a but I have to. Deal. It's yes. terrible. And so this is the thing. Great. They all do it. Everyone gets married. And then Eli, you know, goes to Evangeline, who's like, oh, no. I'm going to be poor. And he goes, let me save you. And she's like, oh, yes, marry me. He says, my my assistant sold these bonds. I'm a millionaire now. And then... Yeah, so she said, yes, I'll marry. And then he says, how he's got the married money to marry her. Billy <laughs> taps him on the shoulder and hands him his glasses finally because yeah. he's had them the whole time. And he's like, oh, thank you, Billy. And he looks at him he's like, Billy! Billy! And then... He says, no, I'm sorry, I got stuck on the ship. I didn't sell sell your bonds for you. And then the first mate shows up and says... But so we have this moment then where Eli's like, I'm ruined! And Evangeline's like, we'll just be friends. Yeah. And then the first mate shows up. Then the first mate shows up with an urgent telegram. Your bonds have gone through the roof. You're a gajillionaire. Yes. And she's (laughs) like, oh, I will marry you. We'll be together forever. Yes. So all's well that end well. Um... 
And then we also learned that Chicky is alive because they were only in the swimming pool. What was she doing in the swimming pool? Yeah, nobody knows. The doggy paddle. Nobody knows. (laughs) <laughs> no, that's the joke. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah. Um, and then we, I, I like the bit where um, Eli's like, oh, I all, it always was going to work out because I've got brains. And he points to his gut and guts. And yeah. he points to his brains. I thought that was funny. Mm-hmm. And you get the finale and yes, all's well that ends well. Yes, we all lived happily ever after. They all get married on the boat. <laughs> yes, three marriages mm-hmm. and a, you know, skinless dog. But okay. Hellas dog, yeah. Um, what is your best song in Anything Goes? Well, that's a good question. I'm never prepared for this when you ask me these questions. I know, right? So, I mean, I love Anything Goes, the yeah. song on its own. I love It's Still Lovely, I think is really cute. It's the lovely, it's delightful, it's delicious. It's between either You're the Top or Buddy Beware. Yeah, I'm going to go with Anything Goes because I really like that one. I think partly because I also really like the performance of it, but mm-hmm. Friendship was really fun as well. Yeah, that's also great. Yeah. What's your skip song? Blow Gabriel Blow. Yes, that and Goodbye Little Dream Goodbye. Yeah, I think I'd like that one more if it was, if we were given the opportunity to know more about Hope as a character. But Blow Gabriel Bro, <laughs> Bro, Blow Gabriel Blow, I've always had a really... Love-hate relationship with. The choreography is so nice and so cool. But the actual song goes on for such a long time. Yeah, and this is a lot of act two where there could be some really vital plot Mm-hmm. It's forgotten. Where well, the, the rest of the plot is really rushed because we spent like twenty minutes on this one song. Yeah, that's Crazy. that's the issue. Who would you want to play? I I'd really like to play Irma. Yeah, because I think she's hilarious. I love that kind of character. But my typecasting as a performer is Reno, the the funny best friend yeah. who gets on with the boys kind of character yeah which is kind of annoying actually but i'm definitely not an ingenue fair enough i definitely wouldn't want to play hope no because there's I'd nothing you can do it's not fun evangeline i think yeah. she's hilarious i, I... Really talk much about her but she's she's so over the top she she's is. so dramatic but again she doesn't outsay say her welcome she does a really good job of the small moment she has yes. but if there was more of her i'd be bored of her mm-hmm. it's one of those characters i'm glad she's used sparingly who would you want to play i said whitley or moonface in the fact that i quite like the whitley's used sparingly so when you have these moments it's really fun moonface is great um, Moonface is so good. I was saying I'd like to be Evelyn up until his song. Yeah. And if that song is still in that, I don't want to be Evelyn. But there's some, you know, if you change the song and maybe update it more so, it's okay. Yeah. Who's your MVP? My MVP is Robert Lindsay. I I think I've got I've got two. Robert Lindsay is definitely up there. Phenomenal. I really loved timing and everything, but I think the other it has to be Reno as well, though, doesn't it? You know, like there's so much great stuff to like the tap dancing and. Well, that's the thing. Like, I feel bad saying that it's Robert Lindsay, because Sutton Foster does so much. But then, like you say, we've got a lot of characters in this show who are comedy characters who do outstay their welcome. Yes. Who ham it too much to the point that you kind of can't keep going with it but he never does that and the way that he plays this character Moonface could be played overplayed yes and be there too much and Robert Lindsay did a really good job of making him funny enough I liked every time he said there's something wrong here 
Like, that's funny because he did it so infrequently that you know it's his catchphrase, but it's also not waka waka. Exactly. Yeah, I'm torn between the pair of them. I do think, I'd initially said Reno, but I do think it probably does have to be Moonface more than anyone else because the character could be really silly, Mm -hmm. but isn't. Like, yeah. isn't too over the top. Whereas Reno, actually, there's a few questionable things with her character that's not a Sutton Foster thing. Mm-hmm. But it does impact my enjoyment of the character. You know, like, clearly she's just rebounding. And there's another guy now that's giving her some attention. Yeah. Because that, that whole plot is, is so rushed, you know. It um, does. Really interestingly, it makes... When they get married at the end, yeah. Reno is now of a higher social standing than Hope. Yeah. Because she becomes Lady whatever. Lady Reno. <laughs> yeah, but whatever Evelyn's surname is, yeah. you know. Whereas Hope won't gain a title. No. So interesting. All she cares about is love. Whatever. So, over on Instagram, 90% of people said that, yes, they were fans of Anything Goes, with 10% saying, no, not a fan. We heard from Tarek Abash, who says she's never actually seen Anything Goes, but she is a big uh, Sutton Foster fan mm-hmm. and uh, is going to keep an eye out for the theatre show in yeah. March. Uh, thank you, actually, to Tarek Abash. A few weeks ago, she she went to see uh, Jesus Christ Superstar for her dad's birthday. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday to your dad, Tara. Um, but she actually, she sent us some some little pictures from the programme of guests, guests the theatre show based on these. Like, oh my God, they were so difficult. They were great. It was like Ant minus T plus knee. We were like Annie. And, you know, had a great time. So thank you for reaching out. We really, really enjoyed working through those between us. We heard from Annabelle underscore Julia 35 on Instagram who said, I got to see this live with both Sutton Foster and Rachel York and genuinely could not put enough or the right words together to say how great it was. It was a dream of mine to see Sutton Foster and anything goes if you haven't watched it already it's just absolutely amazing and very funny it has me laughing at all the jokes and silly little notes every time there are some really funny moments and i really did enjoy like the little comedic moments the little comedic interludes they were fun yeah on twitter three percent said no it's nautical nonsense Mm -hmm. 17 percent of people said anything goes because they have never seen it or haven't heard of it 21% of people said it's okay, but 59% of people said, yes, let's set sail. Mm -hmm. And we specifically heard from Theatre Flashbacks at Theatre Flashback 1. Oh, wow, this was such a fantastic production. Everything we needed at the time of lockdowns and restrictions. I had hoped for many years to one day see Sutton Foster live. I love her recordings and the sound of her voice. Her cast recording of Little Women is one of my favourites. A special mention to Carly Mercedes Dyer as Irma. Hysterically funny. She's a real star on the up. I've watched it since at the cinema, on TV and have booked for the tour in my top three shows of 2021. I'd seen a touring production a few years ago and was not impressed by the show. It's dated and was racist before the changes made for this production. It was joyous from start to finish. Sutton Foster lit up the huge Barbican theatre with her smile and performance. Wonderful. Still kind of racist. Still, yeah, there's one moment that I really think is, well, two moments, because when the, the, the season desists stuff. The whole Blossom thing in itself is racist. The whole, like, dishonouring this girl yeah. and whatever. But then the... You know, the way he comes out, because we didn't talk about it, but he does come out and talk, whereas he's been talking 
With an American accent. With an American accent the whole time. He now comes out and he does a stereotypical voice that is very jarring and incredibly racist. That sounds like the guy from Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yes. Yeah. So there is still some moments in it. I dread to think what it was. Yeah. But yes, uh, I would agree that, you know, Carly Mercedes Diet, I don't like the voice for Irma, but she is tremendous mm-hmm. and definitely is something I'd like to see more from. We also heard from Elena, yep. who says, I have loved this show since it first came to Broadway in 2011. I'm assuming she means the Sutton Foster mm-hmm. version. I was in high school at the time. I was in advanced show choir, which was for performers. And a friend of mine in there said, do you know anything about Sutton Foster? I said, no. I don't think so. My friend says you need to watch Anything Goes. I watched the Tony's performance and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I was obsessed with the choreography and the costumes and Sutton Foster's vocals. I had to learn more about her. So I got the CD for Christmas and then I got Young Frankenstein. And let me tell you, I have been obsessed with Young Frankenstein and Anything Goes for forever. I know the entire cast album like the back of my hand. Now, when the UK version came out, I was looking at pictures of it and I thought that's weird. Reno's costumes are very different. Obviously, it's not the same production. You know, they're allowed to make changes or whatever, but I thought it was weird that her costumes made her look older. Mm-hmm. Like the longer sleeves, were they trying to hide something or actually say, yes, Sutton Foster is indeed older. Let's give her older looking costumes. Not to disrespect the costumes, I thought they were absolutely stunning. I just thought it was weird that she went from wearing a lot of sleeveless in the original production and now she has a lot more covered up. Mm. That was something I noticed, but I can't wait to see it when it comes out in American theatres in the next few weeks. Sometime in March, so I can go see it. Yeah. What do you think about that in terms of the costume? Because I think that's an interesting choice. It is really interesting. That is really interesting. Now I need to look at a picture quickly. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, obviously, a decade yeah. has passed since Sutton Foster did this role the first time. Or at least from what I'm aware of being the first time. Well, since between 2011 and now, so... Yeah, that's a long old time to pass. And, you know, ageing Reno out, obviously, is a choice. She does always feel like she's older than Billy, which does make you feel like maybe that's why Billy's just been nice to her because he's like no i want a young bride and maybe yeah that's really weird do they look there's one dress in particular which is when they sing you're the top yeah which is it's like a purple cocktail gown but it has no shoulders but then it scoops down into sleeves just above Mm -hmm. her elbow so it looks like gloves which would be of the time would be wearing like gloves with your evening gown. That's fairly. I've been watching a lot of Downton Abbey. Okay, yes, we know. <laughs> I'm, I'm up to date with this now, but that's it's just a weird choice. There are some some outfits that I think look better with the sleeves. Absolutely, like her blue dress looks really good with the sleeves. They haven't changed anything about her actual anything goes outfit. Yeah, I only thought that looked timeless. But then there are some. Like her, like with her Anything Goes outfit, it used to be stripy and now it's a little sailor suit. But like, that's super interesting. That's so weird. I would not have noticed that if you hadn't pointed that out, Elena. So thank you. But that's come up recently where people were talking about um, the costumes on Glee because obviously we're in the Glee Renaissance now. But not just the Glee Renaissance, the tearing it apart 
and looking at why things are the way they are. Yes. On Glee, whenever they did a group number where all the girls wore the same dresses, you would have all of the girls in exactly the same dress and then the actress who played Mercedes would be in the same dress, but she would have cap sleeves on the top. Yeah. And the commentary surrounding that is either... Well, it's not... There's no either. Their costume designer basically did not know how to dress larger actresses. Yeah. And we see it again when they introduce Lauren Zeises as a character. They, again, kept putting her in these little cap sleeved like jackets that go over the top of the dresses it's not a good look on anyone it would have been absolutely fine to just be straps like everybody else now some people said about it like oh maybe it made the actress more comfortable but if anything it draws eyes towards them because they're in something different and usually when you're going to have a solo you are dressed slightly differently to everybody else yeah so maybe what this is, is that because Sutton Foster has is older, obviously the last time she was in these costumes was 2011, and it's normal for your body to change as you age, maybe they just did not know how to dress her to make her look younger, yeah. and in the process made her look older by putting her in slightly outdated fashions for the era? Possibly. Because none of the other women in the show are wearing these long sleeve gowns. They're wearing gowns with gloves. Yeah. So it doesn't make her look fashion forward. It makes her look a bit older. Yeah. Which I think does have an impact on the relationship with Billy. Because Billy is younger. But interesting. Thank you, Elena. Yeah. Always love your contributions. Also, you know, women aren't allowed to age. Well, (laughs) Just generally. So maybe they were just trying to cover it up. The fact that she has aged. Possibly. I think she She looks amazing. I think she looks amazing in this, you know. The fact that she can just get her leg up beside her ear, incredible. She is she is phenomenal in this. Mm-hmm. I gave it four stars overall. I had a good time. I laughed. I really do think that the second half lets it down a lot. Mm-hmm. I think the songs necessarily they're not the best songs, but the difference is you've got these really amazing dances to go with them. And this is a this is a dance musical. Yes. You know, you need the the dancing. Now, if I listen to some of these songs without, am I going to have really long dance breaks with the orchestration that I'll get bored listening to in the car? I think this is one to experience and watch as opposed to listen to. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good show. What did you think? Because you've not seen this version. So what I you... haven't seen this version. I think it was good. I think... There's a lot of stuff that I would change. It's one of those ones where I'm like, I feel like if I'd have seen this when I was like 10 or 11, I would have thought it was amazing. Yeah. But because I'm an adult and I'm looking at it through adult eyes with an understanding of racism and sexism as a concept, and especially how those things reflect in a period piece, because this is set in the 30s, it just comes across weirdly because it's like they've done everything they can to get rid of the racism against their Asian characters. Not very well, but they tried mm-hmm. to then still keep in this... The weird ending. Ending. You can change the name. You know, give Plum Blossom an actual name. You know, yeah. not a, a racist name. It just all felt a bit like somebody has seen Madame Butterfly once and was like, oh yeah, this is what Chinese people are like. Yeah. And that's not even Chinese. 
Yeah, think. you can still have the cease and desist moment and have them speak in their American voices. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Anyway. So so what would you give this this performance? Maybe like three stars. Yeah. That's fair enough. If I was just watching the musical numbers, I think I'd have had a better time. No, that's fair. I think it's flawed, but it's a it's a fun time and, and very well performed. Mm-hmm. So next week we're going to cap off a long running series. Yeah. We've seen one and two. Mm-hmm. It's time for three and the mini four. What are we watching next week? We are finishing off our decom run with the last two Descendants movies. Because Descendants 4 is a kind of small... It's like 20 minutes long. Yeah. And we'll talk about that when we watch it. But yes, we're watching Descendants 3, which will be a, the best time ever. It's been quite a while. It's been a really long time. I'm excited to see Adam, or whatever his name is, Beast Boy, become the beast, even though it, he shouldn't. There's no reason Genetic for it. Genetic beastness. There's yeah. literally no reason for it. But yes... I'm excited to watch this, mm-hmm. you know, and may- maybe just know that I no longer have it hanging over me. But then, oh, God, there's going to be another decom at some point. Oh, no. So just keep in mind, there are going to be characters in this one that were not important in the second one. Yeah. Who suddenly become interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting. So, you you know, you it's can let great. us know your thoughts on the Descendants and, you know, uh, any closing thoughts on that decom series. Mm-hmm. It's always nice when we when we do series of things, you know, like a. One, two, and three. Yeah. You know, without overstaying their welcome. As always, you can get involved in the conversation over on Twitter and Instagram at It's A Musical Pod. Let us know your thoughts on Anything Goes. Let us know your thoughts on the Descendants series. And you can, of course, follow our adventures on TikTok at It's A Musical Pod mm-hmm. and see our backstage adventures. We are going to be going to some more theatres. I believe we'll be returning to the new Victoria Theatre in Woking to see nine to five yeah i'm really very very excited by it in the coming weeks so watch this space and get involved in our adventures Mm -hmm. if you like the show you can subscribe to us on a multitude of good podcasting platforms we are available on apple podcasts on spotify on google podcasts on the amazon music app under the podcasts section of the library you can find us on stitcher you can find us on good pods and you can find us on our og hosts podbean we charted again on Good Pods, so thank you to everyone who listens to us on that amazing platform. And if you do like what we do, you can leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts, on podchaser.com, on Good Pods. You can also leave us a review on Spotify now. You can't write things, but you can give us a star rating. So head on over to those uh, platforms and let us know your thoughts. Next week, we go back to the United States of Disneyland. Mm-hmm. forgotten what it is already <sighs> I don't know what it is it's like something beginning with A but not America or Intellia or something but we'll get there Yeah. same bat place same bat channel have a magical musical Monday 